good is that to know? Maybe that is a word for a few people today. You just feel like there's stuff going on. You're wondering, is it going to be all right? You know, in God's economy, it is. It's going to be all right. So why don't you give someone a high five and grab a seat? How's everyone going? You're doing well? Alrighty. Well, who's been enjoying the Healthy Hearts series? You've been enjoying it? It's good. Here's some greats. Chris Burns, was that you? Always an encourager in the house. Well, this week is week three of our series, and we're going to look at healthy relationships. Who knows how important relationships are? Key to life, aren't they? So, um, I just want to start by saying I'm not a perfect wife. I know that's a surprise to some of you. You can check that with Steve afterwards, see if I'm a perfect wife or not. Definitely not. I'm not a perfect mum. Sorry, Chris. Not a perfect friend or sister. But I am passionate about relationships and people. And more importantly, God is passionate about healthy relationships, isn't he? So uh, let's look, look at that today. So here's the thing, we were made by God to be in relationship with God and with each other, right? We need people. Look at the person next to you. You actually need that person, whether you like them or not. Hopefully you do like them. So uh, we need people. And um, where are the extroverts today? Hands up if you're an extrovert. Like as if we needed you guys to put your hands up. (laughs) Notice how I didn't ask the introverts to put their hands up. Don't ask me to put my hand up. I'm probably, to to be fair, an introvert who can have some extroverted moments, but uh, essentially an introvert. (laughs) But here's the thing. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need people and we need relationships. So uh, my subtitle this morning is The Ties That Bind Us. Everyone say The Ties That Bind Us. So here's the thing, relationships are essentially connections, aren't they? They're people connected with people. So I made this illustration. I'm just going to ask you, Sam, would you like to jump up? And uh, I might pick on Robin Pemberton as well. She'd love to get up here. (laughs) So I made a little chain of people. Would you like to dig into that, Sam, and just uh, stretch it out? I wonder if you've ever considered in your lifetime how many connections you will make with people, how many relationships and different kinds of relationships will you have with people in a lifetime? Probably quite a lot, hey? So in one incredible singular moment, you were born. Do you remember that moment? No, you don't. Neither do I. Here's the thing. You already had a relationship with your mother and your father, even if you didn't know it right back then. Then you discovered the wonderment of relationships as you were raised by your parents or your caregiver. Most of us found ourselves in a family, perhaps negotiating the uh, the ebb and flow of relationships with sisters and brothers who loved that. Then we met other relatives, aunties, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, nonnas, pops, cousins, second cousins once removed. The family tree can get really complicated, right? We began preschool or school. We made friends. Some friendships lasted a lifetime. Anyone got friends that they've had for like decades and decades? It's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Some friendships last a lifetime, some perhaps just a season. We started our first job. My first job was at Kmart. Anyone else have first job at Kmart? Anyone worked at Kmart? Well, maybe only one. <laughs> no, there's a few others. We had, we had a circle of friends that grew and grew. We changed jobs. We went to TAFE or college or uni. We made more friends. Maybe we fell in love. Perhaps we fell out of love. Maybe we fell in love again. We met our neighbours, friends at cafes, parties, barbecues and in church life. And before we knew it, we had a lot of connections. There's only 40 people here, but probably most people will develop at least 150 meaningful relationships. I feel in this technological age it could be even more than that. Like we have the potential to have thousands of relationships. Maybe not really close relationships, but a lot of relationships. So this was God's intention, wasn't it? That we have healthy relationships. We need healthy relationships. Thanks, girl. You can take that little uh, group of men with you if you like. You can take it home, Robbie. I know you want to. Hang it on your wall. Thank you. Why don't you give the girls a hand? So every one of us has lots and lots of connections, right? And we need healthy connections. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden. This is what God says right in the beginning in Genesis 2, 18. He says this, It is not good for the man to be alone. Everyone say alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So notice what God says before he created woman. He says it's not good for man to be alone. So this is the first time in the Bible that the principle of companionship is mentioned. And it applies just not just in relation to man and woman, but in us needing each other. So I love, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, What, you too? I thought I was the only one. Don't you love that about friendship? What, you like black jelly beans? So do I. Does anyone love black jelly beans? Yeah, oh, you guys can be my friends. <laughs> Some people hate black jelly beans. I love the fact that in the jar, they're the last ones left. I'm like, I'll have all of them, thanks. How about Winnie the Pooh? Who loves Winnie the Pooh? Incredible. Uh, there's such incredible wisdom in Winnie the Pooh. He says this, A friend is someone who helps you up when you're down. And if they can't, they lay down beside you and listen. Don't you love that? How vital are friends to our health and happiness? So I love this proverb, Proverbs 18.24. You probably know this really well. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Don't you love that friend when you've had a really bad day? Maybe you've got a bad uh, health diagnosis. You can call them. You can debrief with them. And they're just there. They may not offer advice. We don't always need advice. Sometimes we just need someone who will listen, right? How about the friend you could be completely ridiculous and silly with and you don't have to explain yourself. They just get it. I love that friend. How about the Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen friend? This proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, or one person sharpens another. 
So I love the friend that you could be honest and vulnerable with and they will speak into your life, bring honest feedback, maybe rub off the rough edges a little bit. We all need friends like that, right? And, we, and I can do the same for them. I really appreciate friends who will be honest and vulnerable with me. And there's also a practical side to relationships. Sometimes we just need practical help, right? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says this, two are better than one. Everyone say two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Pretty practical, isn't it? Lots of visuals there. But we need uh, people to help us. We can't do everything by ourselves. We weren't supposed to. We're not supposed to be an island in the stream. We're meant to be a community working together. So let's talk today about some keys to healthy relationships. What are the essential things that make a relationship healthy? What are the ties that bind us? Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. I'm sure there are things that you can think of that you can add to this. Maybe after the service or maybe during our connect group time this week, you can talk about things that you feel are really essential to a healthy relationship. But these are just a few. So number one, Jesus is at the heart of a healthy relationship. It's pretty obvious, almost goes without saying, but definitely worth saying. Here's the thing, a Christ-centred relationship has the potential to grow and be healthy, right? And I honestly don't know how people do it without Jesus. I really don't. He is the one that gives us life and gives us hope. So I brought in this little uh, attractive piece of... uh, uh, Vine. <laughs> so this is from our ornamental grapevine. That's the vine. That's the little branch. So John 15 verse 5, you probably know this uh, verse really well. And a shout out to Tim Rugendyke who has literally like 100 verses to put up on screen today. Not 100, just 40. So this is what Jesus says in John 15:5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me... And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's pretty clear. I feel this passage really applies to relationships, right? If we want relationships to bud and flourish, we need to stay connected to Jesus, the vine. And he promises if we do, it will flourish. So let's talk about what it means to remain or to abide kind of a bit of Christianese that unless we kind of unpack it, what does it actually mean? Well, the Strong's Concordance says this, to remain or to abide is to continue in him, to allow him to be central in our relationships. So to continue, if we started in Jesus, we'll continue in him, right? So we don't just uh, ask Jesus to bless the relationship and then forget about him. He's in that relationship. He's with us during that relationship. To abide in Christ means to live and dwell. So we don't depart. We don't just spend Sundays with Jesus and then Monday to Saturday kind of do our own thing, right? We remember that he's with us. We invite him 
into every aspect of the relationship. To abide in Christ is to continue to be present with. And I've been thinking a lot about this one this week. You know, I know that Jesus goes with me everywhere I go. He promises that in, in Hebrews 13 and 5. But do I continue to be present with him or do I forget that he's with me? Everywhere I go, he goes with me. Am I present with Jesus as he is with me? And this is my favourite one, and this is where the vine illustration really comes into, into help. It means to be held and to be kept continually. That's what abide means. So here's the wonderful thing. Jesus is the vine. We're the branch. We don't hold Jesus up. He holds us up. He's the vine. So it's winter time. so this is um, looking a bit dormant. But, you know, you don't need to be afraid of the winter in your life that season because these little things here are the buds and in springtime they will spread little shoots little green shoots and leaves will come out of that if the branch remains in the vine sometimes we've got relationships that are perhaps a bit dead and maybe it's because we've kind of disconnected ourselves from the vine we've said sorry piano we've said hey i don't know if i really need jesus in this relationship I do it myself but we can't do it ourselves without Jesus without staying connected with him there's no promise of Zoe life is there we need to stay connected to him so number one Jesus is at the heart of a healthy relationship if we want it to flourish be fruitful we need to stay connected to Jesus right Number two, love is at the heart of a healthy relationship. And that's pretty obvious, again. But uh, John says this in 1 John 4, 7 to 8. He says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know, does not love God, does not know God, because God is love. So I love the fact that uh, John says God is love. So God doesn't just demonstrate love. He doesn't just teach us how to love. He is love. It's the essence of who he is. And the word that John uses here is agape. And it means brotherly love, that fervent love, that affectionate goodwill, that brotherly love. So it's interesting, John says, if you don't love... You don't know God. Wow. (laughs) So what he's really saying is, I can't say that I know God if I won't love my brother or my sister. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Something to think about. A bit of a salah moment. So we have to be able to love. And we can only do that when we're connected to Jesus. He's the one that allows us to love, right? So Paul says this in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. So he lists a number of essential characteristics that make a relationship healthy. But then he says, I love the way Paul illustrates the role of love in all of this. And this is in verse 14. He says, 
And over all these virtues, put on love. Over all these virtues, put on love. So it's kind of almost as if love is like a coat that you put on top of everything. Verse 14, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is my uh, favourite jacket. It's as if love binds everything else together in perfect unity, isn't it? It's like the love coat. It's the thing that we put on that pulls everything together. Paul says, put on love. And then in John 13, 34 to 35, this is what Jesus says. And um, just to frame it, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet and Judas has left the party to betray Jesus. And then Jesus says these words. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So this is really what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, do you want to know how people will know that you're one of my guys, you're one of my followers, if you wear your love coat, right? If you love one another. It's the way that people will know that we're followers of Jesus. It's, uh, it's like recognising a policeman by his police jacket, by his uniform. It's like, it's like the thing that we wear that shows that we are followers of Jesus. People should look at us and know, hey, these guys are followers of Jesus. I remember as a young adult, um, when I met Steve and all these other guys at church, I remember they had this fair income love walk. They didn't just say, you know, we, lo we love you, we'll pray for you. They actually helped each other. They'd spend like a whole day, come around to someone's place and help them pack up and move the whole apartment and so on. They would actually love one another. And that love walk really encouraged me. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just a talk, it was a walk. It's interesting that Jesus says here, a new command I give you, that you love one another. So it's not that the command to love was, was new, but it was the extent to which God was going to use Jesus to demonstrate love. He just washed the disciples' feet and he was about to go to the cross. What an incredible love that was. Spurgeon writes this about this, this verse. He says, We are to love our neighbours as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us. Wow. And that is far more than we love ourselves. Think about that. Jesus said, love your neighbour as yourself. But he said, I want you to love your fellow Christians, that's the people we're meeting with right now, as I loved you. Wow, like he died for us. So if there's anyone that we need to love, it's the people in this room. It's our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pretty challenging, isn't it? 
The disciple Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, have a fervent and unfailing love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And I like the way the Amplifier describes it. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. So love chooses to overlook offences. Anyone ever offended anyone? Don't put your hand up. But love chooses to say, you know what? I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. That's what love does. It covers those offences. So we choose to wear the love coat. The love coat binds everything else together in perfect unity. It's the way that the world will recognise us by our love walk. It, it chooses to look beyond the sins of others. It covers over a multitude of sins. So love is at the heart of a healthy relationship. I'm going to take this jacket off because it's going to get really hot. And number three, truth is at the heart of a healthy relationship. Truth. I'm going to give this to you, Stevie. So we really can't do relationships well unless we're honest with each other, can we? We need to be truthful. So Jesus says this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So truth is vital to every healthy relationship. In a world that kind of applauds lies and encourages lies and maybe silences truth, we need to be bold enough in our relationships to speak truth, right? So Paul says this in Ephesians 4.15, in the Amplified. He says, speaking the truth in love. Everyone say, speaking the truth in love. In all things, both our speech and our lives, expressing his truth. Let us grow up into all things, into him, following his example, who is the head, Christ. So here Paul reminds us of the importance of speaking the truth in love. So I'm just going to ask Steve and Will to jump up. And uh, I'm going to get them to help me explain a little principle here. Pray for me because we haven't uh, rehearsed this yet. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Everyone starts to laugh nervously. So speaking of the ties that bind us, there is a holy tension between truth and love. So hang on a minute. So uh, <laughs> I feel what's going on already. So uh, Will's going to represent truth here. You can just whack that on your chest. Thanks, mate. And um, Steve's going to represent love here. And um, so there's this holy tension between love and truth, isn't there? No, it stops up. Hold, hold. I'm just wondering if our insurance will cover this, Ben. What could possibly go wrong? Okay, so there's this holy tension between love and truth. And I remember reading in Every Day with Jesus by Selwyn Hughes. Selwyn Hughes wrote this, and I always remembered it, wrote it down in my journal. He said this, We must always approach truth in a spirit of love, but we must never sacrifice truth for the sake of love. So there's this holy tension between love and truth. I always think of love and truth like twin brothers or twin sisters. 
So just imagine these guys as twin brothers. I mean, they look so much alike. You can barely tell them apart. And uh, the thing is, they're inseparable. But often we want to sacrifice one for the sake of the other. Or we make a choice that does that. So um, here's where you get to win, Will. That's truth. So, for example, we may have had a bad day. Or um, we've, just, we've just really had something happen that's really wound us up. And we decide, that's it. I'm going to let someone have it. I'm going to empty the ice bucket of truth right on their head. Ever done that? Don't put your hand up. Maybe it's that annoying colleague at work who, as soon as you get to the elevator door, they just let it close when they could have just, you know, pressed the door button. So um, we walk up to them and we say, that's it. Today you're going to cop it. And we give them the truth. So truth wins. Should I hang on to this? (laughs) And love loses. So we spoke the truth, but we didn't marinate our words with love. So reset. Often we do the opposite, though. Perhaps if you're a mercy person, you might do this. You might say, you know what? I can't really tell them the truth because it's going to hurt them. So uh, love wins. This is where you get to win, honey. And um, (laughs) we... (laughs) He's refusing to surrender. So we let love win and truth loses. But here's the thing, does love really win? Because if we weren't willing to tell people the truth, were we really being loving? It's a a question to think about. Because truth is at the heart of a healthy relationship. So what works best and what Paul is referring to in Ephesians 4.15 is when truth and love are in perfect unison and perfect tension. Look at these boys behaving so well. And both doing the work in the relationship so that neither needs to lose out. Isn't that beautiful? Look at their smiley faces. (laughs) So truth is at the heart of a relationship, but it needs to work in perfect unison with love. Thank you, boys. You can go now. Thank you. Why don't you give them a hand? Yeah, truth is at the heart of a healthy relationship. Number four, humility. How important is humility in a relationship? It's vital, isn't it? What do you think would happen right now across the planet if every one of us chose full humility in our relationships? Like if we decided not to defend our own rights and the need to be right, if we put others' needs first, how would that affect relationships? I wonder what would happen on an international level if humility was considered. Like, what's going on in Ukraine right now? It wouldn't happen, would it? What would happen on a national level in terms of reconciliation if we chose humility? Between people groups, between different cultures. What would happen in marriages if we chose humility? I remember our our minister, Stan Everest, the beautiful Stan Everest, who married us in our pre-marriage counselling, said to us, actually in Prepare and Rich, which is a great resource we're still using with young couples, he said, you know, if Felicity, if you are thinking of Steve's needs and serving Steve, and if Steve is thinking of your needs and serving you, then all your needs will be met. It was great advice if we're thinking about the other person and not just ourselves, if both people are doing that, then 
your needs will be met, right? That's how humility works in a relationship. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, 2-3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then Romans 12, 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment. And then in verse 10, skipping on in that same passage, he says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Honour one another above yourselves. If, if we are just focused on doing that, honouring the other above myself, then how beautiful is that to a relationship? If each person is thinking, I'm going to think of you better than myself. I'm going to honour you first. Isn't that a beautiful uh, healing texture to add to a relationship? Something that will make that relationship work. And then Peter gives this very sound advice in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. He says, Likewise, you younger men of lesser rank and experience, be subject to your elders, seek their counsel, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And I love this in the Amplified. It says, tie on the servant's apron. So if we're humble, we're willing to serve one another, right? Instead of just meeting our own needs, we're willing to serve the needs of the other person. I love that. Tie on the servant's apron. For God is opposed to the proud, the disdainful, the presumptuous, and he defeats them, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And of course, out of humility flows a servant heart, right? Mother Teresa, probably one of the greatest servants of mankind, said this. She said, intense love does not measure, it just gives. Isn't that beautiful? Albert Hubbard said this, the love we give away is the only love we keep. Love was meant to be given away. We actually will work best in community when we serve one another rather than serving our own needs. And then the greatest passage of all about humility is in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, describing what Jesus did. And it says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who is God, comes from heaven to earth to die for us and is obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is no greater act of humility than that, is there? He's God, but he gives up all of his rights to die on a cross so we can have a relationship with God. I still find that incredible. So if the team wants to come up,
my final thought is this, forgiveness. You know, I honestly think that the most important thing in a marriage isn't so much love, it is love, but actually the thing that will keep a marriage going is forgiveness. Because forgiveness is the ability to let go of the stuff that will stop that marriage being healthy. Here's a great definition of forgiveness. When we choose to forgive, we release. Everyone say release. We release a person from his or her indebtedness to us. We relinquish. Everyone say relinquish. We relinquish the right to seek personal revenge. You're like, what? Are you telling me I can't seek revenge? Yeah, actually. Maybe we could leave that to God. We choose to say we will not hold his wrongdoing against him. So forgiveness isn't letting someone off the hook. It's actually letting yourself off the hook and giving that thing to God. So going back to the analogy of the ties that bind us, you could say that metaphorically, I want you to imagine, oh, there's my string. You, I want you to imagine it's all right. No, it's all right. Oh, thank you, Robbie. I was thinking, where did that string go? I gave it away. So forgiveness is the act of cutting ourselves free. Do it up here, you can see it. From the debt that that person owes to us. That indebtedness that they had to us. They don't owe us anymore. Let's give that to God. And then forgiveness is also the act of deciding that I don't need to seek Sistering. seek revenge that belongs to God what if we cut ourselves free from those things you know Ray Andrews always says that forgiveness is the greatest healing balm in a relationship it's the one thing that will keep that relationship healthy and strong Paul says this in Colossians 3.13 bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then Romans 12, 19 says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And even Beyonce has had a revelation on the power of forgiveness. She said this, I found this incredible, found this quote last week. She said, love is an endless act of forgiveness. Forgiveness is me giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. That's kind of cool, isn't it? It's releasing. It's releasing that thing. As Christians, we release that to God. We let God deal with it. And you know what? God is the God of justice. In the final end, things will be just. They may not look just right now, but I can guarantee you God is the God of justice. Amen. So let me clarify a few things. Forgiving is not forgetting. We know that, right? It doesn't automatically eliminate the consequences of sin. God can forgive us. The person we've sinned against might forgive us, hopefully. But the consequences of the sin will live on, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that we invite that person who hurt us back into our circle of trust. That's, a, that's, that's up to you and God to work that one out. But it does mean that as we've received grace in abundance, we're willing to give that away, right? We give grace as we receive it. 
So unforgiveness is an unhealthy tie that we want to set ourselves free from, right? We want to let that thing go. You may have heard this phrase, unforgiveness is like me drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. So forgiveness isn't easy. I'm not here to tell you it is. It's not. I've found it hard in my life. But unforgiveness is direct disobedience to God, right? And it actually depreciates the greatness of the gift of forgiveness that God's given to us. So healthy relationships, the ties that bind us. Here's five keys. Jesus, he's the vine. We're the branch. Let's stay connected to Jesus if we want healthy relationships. Love. Love is at the heart of a healthy relationship. Put on your love coat. Truth. Let's learn how to speak the truth in love to one another. We need that love, but we need truth. If we really love someone, we should be able to tell them the truth. Humility is at the heart of a healthy relationship. If every person is honouring the other, then that relationship will be healthy. And finally, forgiveness, the healing balm in every relationship. So as we finish up today, I've gone over. I would just love to quickly pray for you for healthy relationships. So let's just pray. And if something in this message this morning has touched you, I would love to join with you by faith and pray for you. So let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for the beauty of relationships. I thank you, Lord, that you made us in relationship with you to be in connection with with others. But Lord Jesus, we depend so entirely on you, Lord. So I pray for every person here today, every person watching online, for their relationships, Lord. Lord, there are some who've come in here today and they've got broken relationships and heavy hearts. Lord, would you this week give them wisdom, give them the tips, give them the things they need to do to help perhaps restore that relationship as far as they can, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that when you're at the centre of relationships, we can make that choice to speak the truth in love. Some of us need to just get a bit bold and speak up. Some of us just need to learn the beauty of humility and forgiveness. So, Lord, I pray you'd bless every relationship. Lord, help us this week to really keep our eyes on you. And uh, I pray that you would enrich our relationships. And may we be a vessel May we carry your love, your hope, your goodness into every relationship with every person that we meet this week. Thank you, Lord. We have the privilege of being vessels. We carry your light with us everywhere we go. So we pray, Lord, today, would you bless our relationships? And we thank you, God, that you're the reconciler through Christ, that you reconciled us back to God through your precious, precious cross. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand? The team's going to lead us in worship.